Hello and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Panorama Room of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the third interview of the NAC English Theatre's 2011 season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with the production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with Dana Tikach, director and choreographer of the NAC English Theatre holiday production of Oliver, about the creative process of this production and her career as a theatre artist. Oliver ran in the NAC's theatre December 6th through the 31st. For more information about the NAC English Theatre production of Oliver, please visit nac-cna.ca. Click on English Theatre. And now, here are Peter Hinton and Dana Tikach. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Welcome to this afternoon's interview. Uh, Before I uh, invite you to join me in welcoming our guest this afternoon, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Our guest is Dana T. who is the director of our production of Oliver. And uh, Dana was raised in Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, now is based in Toronto. And for the last few years, we've been really fortunate to have Dana as a member of the English Theatre Company here at the National Arts Centre. And I think we'll all remember, I think our first big introduction to Dana was a few years ago. We did this little show that had a little bit of dancing in it. It was called The Drowsy Chaperone. (laughs) Remember that? Dana was the choreographer of, of that show, and uh, she's participated with us in our ARC projects. She was in our production of St. Carmen of the Main last year, and was the associate director and choreographer for our production of Nativity last year, and was in and a choreographer for Romeo and Juliet. Um, she uh, has worked at the Citadel Theatre, Vancouver Playhouse, and as a director, Dana is a choreographer, an actor, and a director. And uh, don't you hate them? Those. <laughs> Gosh, I struggle enough to do one thing. My goodness. Um, as a director, she directed Driving Miss Daisy with Michael Learned from The Waltons, you might know, but also a very respected classical actress, and Walter Borden. Uh, Tuesdays at Mori, uh, she did the Canadian premiere of The 39 Steps. Uh, she won the Jesse Richardson Award for Significant Artistic Achievement, a Sterling Award for Outstanding Choreography. She's worked on The Rocky Horror Show, Buddy Holly, Palmer Park, All's Well That Ends Well. Uh, she was a member of the Stratford Festival Company for many, many years, and that's where I first met Dana. And uh, Dana was in a production of Into the Woods that I directed there in 2005. And uh, Dana really, to me, encaptures uh, the full range of what 
theater artists do, from the classical stage to modern plays to musicals. And I'm very thrilled to have her here today. Please join me in welcoming Dana C. Thank you. Okay, so I want to start. This is, I, I, tell, I, I tell our guests, I go, it's just like the Oprah show. Mm -hmm. I get to be Oprah. Hello, there's a car for everybody. <laughs> is, okay, how, how did this evolve? The actor, director, choreographer. Why, why, you know, why do I comment on that? Uh, well, I, uh, I was very much a, a firmly entrenched on the boards. I love, I love being an actor, so I love everything about it. I'm not trying to stop doing that so mm. that I can do something else. I began choreographing because we used to do really big cancer benefits at Stratford, raising money for cancer research on the festival stage every year. Right. And I had said no a couple years in a row because I was just quite determined. I wasn't interested in... I loved being an actor. I didn't want to do anything else. But because it was a subject that was really close to my heart, um, I started choreographing those. And I found that I knew how to do mm. it. Mm. And that went well. And... Uh, and really, it's one of those, uh, the transition for me, and I'm not, actually, it's not a transition because I'm, I'm interested in still doing all of the different things, mm. but opportunities have come to me from yourself and from some other companies where I just felt like I was in the right place and I had the right skill set and I was able mm. to step into it with a great deal of confidence in some ways more than I'd ever had as an actor. Yeah. Uh, and I found it very liberating to think, oh, I'm actually... I'm good at this, and 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 without the just in a, in a beautiful sort of synchronistic mm. way where things uh, opportunities presented themselves, and to get to work with someone like Michael Leonard, who is so mm. so extraordinary as an actor, and Walter Borden, and have that experience. I remember thinking when I started that process on the first day, what do I possibly have to bring to the table <laughs> with somebody who has been. Um, you know, not only has she won three Emmy Awards, but uh, a classic, Edward Albee, mm. you know, yeah. at her opening night of her play on Broadway, that she's, she's just an extraordinary classical actor as well, and, I th and a very um, beautiful soul. And, and yet in the room together, the three of us were able to find this language that even though we were 50 years apart in age, we were able to very much connect and mm. create this work together. And so there's something about the collaboration of directing uh, that's so different from being an actor, and that that part I really do uh, find thrilling and exciting, mm. and makes me, you know, makes me lean towards it a little bit now. Yeah. After do, you, do you think that uh, your experience as an actor has informed how you direct? And Absolutely, without question, without question. Mm. I uh, I think you learn so much uh, by um, being in situations that aren't always. Uh, perfect. I, mm. I think the greatest gifts for me have been have been experiences that maybe weren't wonderful, and that you observe. You can observe those things. There's so much to be learned from processes or experiences that don't go well. Right? Those are the, in some ways, the best because you learn more from mm. when everything's sunny and rosy all the time. And so, just as an actor, you get to observe so much. You get mm. to observe so many different ways of communicating, and really isn't directing so much about communicating. Mm. And uh, yeah. And, and surely being in experiences like Stratford, you're exposed to so many different yes. approaches, different forms. Mm -hmm. uh, like I remember the season one year you were doing like a 1930s musical comedy, mm -hmm. Tap City, and 
doing To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, that was amazing. What an extraordinary Like, what a range of total sort of realism to total... Yeah, two show days were quite, you know, the most excellent uh, uh-huh. experience. And different directors from all over the world, and yeah. directors from every facet, like you said, at musical theater, comedy directors, and uh, you are Miles Potter, and uh, mm. act people that you have uh, just a, such a enormous amount of wisdom and knowledge about classical mm. theater, which is wonderful. The more skill sets, the better, I think. Now, maybe it might be interesting for our audience here to know, like, not everybody can choreograph and direct. So when you do a, a show like Oliver, it's often done where you hire a director and then you hire someone else to do the choreography. Mm-hmm. What are those lines for you between where you're the choreographer, where you're yeah. the director, where, you Well, know? I can truthfully tell you that was the first time I've ever done that. Done both together, ever. yeah. Peter Hinton now gave she me tells that opportunity. Me. No. <laughs> you knew that. You knew that. We did. Peter Hinton gave me that opportunity, which is pretty extraordinary. And I can be honest that I have such a strong opinion as a choreographer mm-hmm. that I can't quite imagine having someone else be in that in those yeah. shoes. But what's really neat is that with um, the company of incredible actors that we have uh, on Oliver, I felt really strongly about making sure that they'd have as much time as possible with the choreography mm. so that they could absorb it into their body and have it be body memory so that they could let go of it and be able to act at the same time as they were dancing. Because if you have to think about dancing, you're sunk. And so I was able to begin, almost begin the process mm. uh, on the, in that work as a choreographer. And I'd have a really interesting time. I would always have to say in those rehearsals because there are... There's an etiquette to directing, of course. Is there an etiquette to anything? There's an etiquette to directing, and um, one of the sort of things that people don't appreciate is if you show them how it should be done, right? Actors can find that very, uh, they can be put off if you say, you should do it like this. Well, of course, as a choreographer, I have to show them how it's done, especially a company of non-dancers. It's interesting, eh? And so I would always say at the beginning of a rehearsal where we were working on choreography, okay, so remember, I'm a choreographer here. When, so when I show you where you need to move, I'm speaking to you as a choreographer, not as a director. We're not talking about the acting. I'm talking about the shape that I'm creating on the deck. So I was always very, very clear about what role I was in that day. I would, uh, in that hour, I shouldn't say in that day. In that hour of time, I'd be like, okay, so right now, I'm being a choreographer. So when I say, may I be you for a moment, it's because I'm showing you the choreographic shape I want you to make, not because I'm acting for you. Because you know how that can be sensitive and and tricky to negotiate as an actor. When you see someone doing it, then you just try and imitate them as opposed to finding out who you are in that moment. It's very complicated. It is. It's an unwritten rule eh? in a it rehearsal. Is. You don't tell an actor, I want you to deliver the line exactly like this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's but dangerous. <laughs> in forms like music, I remember Bert Carrier, who's an m- amazing musical director who worked with Dana and I in Into the Woods, he said, the difference between what you do, Peter, and what I do, he said, is in my business, they can either hit the note or they can't. What's hitting the note when you're playing Hamlet? There's no one way. There's no one. Yeah. It's another And that's not true of singing either, but there is a truth to that about. Well, there is. There's an accuracy. There is, I would say, in a couple of days of rehearsal, I caught myself saying, we would put a chunk of the play together for the first time. And it's, a, as you can imagine, there's singing, there's dancing, there's acting, there's scene changes that are big. It's a swirl of activity. And I said, this is a day where. 
there's no wrong. And then I looked over at Alan Cole, our musical director, and said, okay, well, I guess there is wrong. If you sing the wrong note, that's wrong. <laughs> but everything else, you know, open yourself yeah, up to, right. to being creative in this space. And if you make a huge mistake, it's because it's going to teach you something and that's going to be great. But there is a certainly an accuracy about mm. music. And then it certainly applies for me to choreography as well. There are things that I'm happy for personal interpretation. And then there's images that I need to see everybody look the same mm. so that the picture is created. Mm. So... It can be a very uh, detailed and And it certainly process. is invited in a piece like Oliver, eh? Mm. Like, oh, yeah. Oliver has big dance numbers in it and lots of showbiz, but it's also a story with tremendous depth and deals with very serious subjects, too. How was that to negotiate? What was it like taking it on that? It was so amazing. That was where the using the company of the English Theatre Company as the people in Oliver and not having 20 children in the room, which I love children, so I mean, no disrespect, but in, uh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect. <laughs> this guy You'll waves. be a fabulous that, that would be me over here. <laughs> but what we were able to do, because the subject, some of the subject matter in the play is about abuse and neglect and mm. very, very painful subjects. And so, and there was something about, uh, just, we had a little bit more freedom in the room to dive into those uh, issues with abandon with abandon mm. that you don't that you might not have I don't think I would could you, could you share with us just some of your thoughts about the song where is love because mm. I thought you spoke about that on the first day of I rehearsal did, yeah. and it really touched me I thought you had a well, I, when Peter first spoke to me about, Peter and Paula Dankert first spoke to me about the concept of using the company and not having children, I knee-jerked and thought, how does that happen? How do you do that? It's not, it's not possible, was my, my first reaction. But um, through the, the next several months of encouragement from Peter and Paula and diving into research, that's what I did. I thought, okay, well, I'll read more Dickens than I know. I'll read the book again and I'll read other books and then I'll read about 1838 and 1830s and 1840s and I'll read about abuse and neglect and all the things within within and one of the one of the triggers for me that I spoke about on the first day and I put in the director's notes was this photograph of a group of young boys mm -hmm. um, from the period a little bit later 50s or 60s 1850s or 60s and they all looked like little old men and I thought about the British Industrial Revolution, which was the first country that the Industrial Revolution hit in, and that, you know, children did not have a childhood in 1830, necessarily. Most of them were working full-time by the time they were seven or eight years old, and by full-time I mean 12 to 14 hours a day with no breaks, and not, you know, not very little sustenance, and very few rules, and no cleanliness. And uh, so I started to think that it was a very adult world, that these these young people were in and that their childhood was mm -hmm. nothing like what we think of playdates and jimboree. There was nothing going on like that. So that was a trigger for me. And of course, the, the, you cannot, it, it can sound like a, a cheesy comment, but the child within, the, the fact that uh, mm. every one of us, especially at our weakest moments, for me anyway, I can only speak to my own experience, but if I'm uh, if you've ever had an experience of grieving very deeply, there's something to me that's very childlike about that. And, uh, and so those, those things in combination with m what I was reading about abuse and neglect and the opportunity of investigating them with adults in the room, which is different, I just sort of, I honed in on that question and I thought, we actually have an opportunity that a group of 20 beautiful children doesn't have to ask that question in a completely different way. 
you know, where, where is love? And I said on the first day, it's not like we figured it all out now. You can still uh, look, you only have to open the newspaper or turn on the television to ask that question and wonder. And I just, it's so incredibly relevant. And uh, there's, no, there's no way to avoid the fact that when a beautiful boy stands at center and sings that song, we all have heart, heart tugs because it's beautiful to hear that boy soprano sound and to see a young boy accomplish that. But at the same time, I felt like in a way, it can also pull you out of where, what the words are doing, which, um, which is asking a question, you know, where is the one person, I've never had a person in the whole world who I meant anything to, anything. And uh, to be able to ask that question sincerely as our Tommy Alajade was able to do, I think was an incredible gift and was a gift to me to watch him investigate that song and, and attempt, not attempt, he didn't attempt, he achieved, he investigated the lyrics in a way that, for me, let me hear the song with a whole new heart. I mm. thought, oh, that's, that song is about something more than a pretty melody, which Lionel mm. Bart wrote great. It's, it's a very melodies. interesting dynamic in Oliver that it walks this tightrope between very serious and sad subjects to incredible joy. Mm -hmm. And comedy. Too. And comedy. It's, well, it's like... You know that J Charles yeah. Dickens wrote about it, saying, mm -hmm. of course, that he, uh, it was akin to a, a really streaky piece of well-cured bacon. The layers, <laughs> the layers of white and red in a piece of bacon, he said, was what he liked to write, you know, that with, with uh, serious pain next to huge comedy, right layered on top of it, like all the way up. And you know, that is life, is it not? If you've ever been, mm. if you've ever had tragedy strike, it can strike at the best times in your life, or you can be in a, a sad situation and feel like laughing and have a, it, life can be like that. Life is a... Uh, is a roller coaster that never stops. So mm. it was—it's an interesting thing to negotiate the level of, the level of serious drama that's playing, and then all of a sudden the bumbles come out, and it's another—it's another world. But it's equally valuable to me, and equally valuable because they are right next to one another. There's no—they're yeah. not in one act and one act. They're back to back. Yeah. And how do you make that? You know, that's what Dickens did. So mm. you get so that beautiful. wonderfully in Nancy's song "Fine Life." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm where she, you know, she sings of all the joys of what a great life it is, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Starvation, plague, getting beaten, extortion. Other than that, it's a fine life. Yeah. <laughs> the cheeriest melody, the sweetest, it's sweetest. Interesting. Lionel Bart wrote it well. He really, he, he this sure was did. his, this was his one huge, as you can imagine, this, I think this play may have been produced more than any other in, yeah. the, in the UK, and just about every high school has done it. And I found it extraordinary since, since I started working on it, the number of people that <laughs> tell me their personal stories and connections to it. Last night I had about 15 people tell me that they had played the Dodger or played Oliver when oh, they were 12. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. This play has touched a lot of people, and he did a really good job. Um, of course, he changed a lot of stuff in the second act, but he uh, from the Dickens. Mm. But I feel like the the music is really supportive of uh, yeah of telling that tale. It was a huge success, Oliver, wasn't it? And Absolutely huge. What what is that like for you when you take on, you know, it's it might be said of Drowsy. Not everybody's going to know Drowsy Chaperone, but I've had many audience say to me, "Oh, I saw Oliver on the West End yeah. thirty years." Like, what yeah. is that like as a director when you get the big 
Oliver well, is certainly one of them. Because of the gift that you and Paula gave me of, of doing it a different way. Right. So I, 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 it was a day, it was uh, probably sometime in last January or February when I had been doing some research and something clicked for me and I thought, oh, they've actually given me the opportunity to do something new with what is an institution. That show mm. is a bit of a, an institution. Yeah. And yet, because of the way we were doing it, I got to break out. Mm. And so it took, immediately took the pressure of doing it the way it had been done before away. And I didn't feel any of that pressure. Mm. And in, a, in a way, actually, I was trying to recreate. And with Alan Cole being such an extraordinary musician, he reorchestrated the entire, it's usually written for 27 instruments, and he reorchestrated the entire score for three players. And they each play three or four. He actually plays maybe six or seven instruments. It's extraordinary. It is a, you should come just to see it to watch him and the orchestra and then come back and see it again to watch the people. Um, but he, uh, his, his vision musically as well, because that's a pretty significant change from having... And the sound trumpets. is so full. It doesn't, you don't, you, really you don't feel like don't. it's just a, a drum his, kit and a piano. Because of his creativity. You know, yeah. you don't, you hear a full orchestra because of what he did. And we, and mm. he felt, um, and we felt together just some freedom to explore songs and break them down in a different way. So the lyrics are all there. Nothing's been changed. We haven't. That's a very close relationship, isn't it? It is. It's the, amazing. How does it's that work? Amazing. How do you make decisions about things? A lot of. Well, I think we were lucky uh, in the beginning because I'm a musician. So we have, we were able to have that dialogue right from the top. Yeah. And I had strong feelings that he respected and he has strong feelings that I respected. That mutual respect is what it's always about in a work environment, isn't it? Yeah, and he is yeah. so easy to respect because I worship him a little bit. Who who wouldn't? Um, but but I think we were lucky because I have the musical, uh, the ability to speak as a musician, which I think helped a lot in mm. such a big undertaking, right? It's a big mm. show. It's a really big <laughs> show. Huge. Yeah. I want I to touch on something because I think it might be interesting to you guys. Is in the theater there is a sort of uh, ongoing debate about musicals versus what's called, and I, and I want to talk about this because I know it drives Dana crazy, <laughs> the legitimate stage. <laughs> which suggests that musicals are illegitimate. Yeah, isn't that funny? What, what is that about? Why is that? What, and, and I know you are a great believer of the musical as mm -hmm. an important form. Well, I think it's a, I think it's an incredibly valuable art form. If you know, we we are we are we're a society filled with uh, lots of lots of ups and downs and adversity. And I think bringing joy, bringing joy, unabashedly attempting to bring joy is not a bad thing. Right. But I also think, like in um, in Oliver, there's incredible depth in some of the work. It's not always plumed. It's not always. Uh, you can't always dive into it, but if it is, I think the power of combining music mm. with important, important, serious subjects, and then if you want to dance here and there, come on, it, it can be so powerful if yeah. it's done well. And I guess I love classical theater too. I love seeing good Shakespeare productions, and mm. you know, now I'm an Ibsen fan, and and now I, you know, I'm Michelle Tremblay. I love that, and I think it all has its place. It all has its value in the same way that I think. Uh, Modern dance, a modern piece that would be here, that was here last mm. week. Uh, Pino, I'm sorry, what's her name? I can't remember. Pina Bausch. Pina Bausch. Mm. And, and is as valuable as the Rockettes can be for somebody, if that speaks to them. I, mm. think, there's, I think there's just uh, room for all of it. I swear <laughs> I do. My teacher was a Rockette, I can't help Yeah. It. Yeah. I just think there's value. Yeah. I think there's such significant value. And I think that music, 
and movement um, have a, an ability to connect with people on a different level, hmm. on a different um, I would even go so far as to say on a visceral level. I mean, I know we all respond to music. If, if all of a sudden I pulled out a conga drum and started to drum in this room, you would all feel the shift in the energy in the space. If I started to tap dance, if, if, uh, if somebody started to sing, you'd all feel different. If I smile though your heart is breaking, everybody would go, oh. It happens. It's a, it's a, there's something about music, and I'm, I'm, just mm. re- I'm passionate about, about all the skill sets, so I like it when it works well, and I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable. I think there's value yeah. in, uh, in all and, three and, of them. And craft and yes. discipline. Like it's such oh, a joy discipline. for me to see the company being put through their paces in this way because they're different muscles, oh, literally yeah. and uh, theatrically. It's an extraordinary discipline, musical theater. I think that's where I get my knickers get in a twist when I think it doesn't get respected, only because it's not easy to do. Because mm-hmm. uh, you took that, that freedom of the company, and you'll see there are girls playing boys, there are humans playing animals. Which is one of my favorite things is uh, check Christian out Christian Murray, who plays Bullseye, Bill Sykes' dog. <laughs> He's fantastic. He's like He's a dog. Incredible. He's incredible. He's extraordinary. It's, it's and did you go through like the real dog, the puppet dog that you went through? Some well, that was the that was the thought. What were we? What were we? Because it's often done with, with a real dog. They it get is, a real and dog. I've seen yeah many a production with a beautiful dog runs across the stage, and that was one of the things that having a group of adults in reading the Dickens mm. again, Bullseye, this character of Bill Sykes' dog, oh, is great. so incredibly well written in the Dickens, and he's so frightening and heartbreaking because he's he's a victim of Another abuse just of like Bill. Nancy is. Mm. He's a, he reveals Bill right, and he's sort of a mirror image of Nancy, but he's pure soul while she has the ability to consciously make the choice and choose to stay the dog is just pure soul and so the opportunity to actually explore that with an actor uh, mm. like you can see watch the way like that Christian dog enters yeah. and how all the humans react to Bill Sykes and how the dog to the dog mm-hmm. and how the dog and Nancy interact mm-hmm. that's a, g- a lovely yeah, moment yeah it is beautiful it is beautiful He's yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah. Right on. I, I want to open it up to see if there are any questions that uh, the audience might have for Dana. Yeah. Excuse me. I have a question about uh, the character Fagin. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It tends to be played in an anti-Semitic fashion. Mm-hmm. In productions I've seen. Mm-hmm. I've seen this show this afternoon. I wonder if you could comment on his character. Um, okay. Yes, you know, I, uh, mean, I just have to repeat the question for our mm-hmm. podcast of listeners. Of course, of course. Is the question was... Uh, that there has been a tradition of Fagin being played with anti-Semitic kind of tones, and uh, how did uh, Dana take that one on or address that? You know that what? One? It's a it, because this was written as a serial, right? Charles mm-hmm. Dickens wrote this in a magazine. The, the, Oliver Twist uh, was published in three volumes eventually, but it would come out in a monthly serial version. And I think there's a there's a number about how many times he was called. Uh, the Jew in the first, mm-hmm. and it was it became a big issue that he was anti-Semitic, and that it was, and that so for the rest of the play he's called Fagin. It changes, it changes at a certain point in the mm-hmm. book, and you think if you went back to the serials how it was published, obviously he was attacked there. I can be very truthful with you and say that that is not the direction I have gone, um, for a few reasons, uh, not the least of which is that I want um, 
children and families to, to uh, embrace and enjoy our production. It's Christmas time. And, but I just don't, I don't feel that that character, especially in the Lionel Bart, you know, we, I can read and reference the Dickens as much as I want, but what I have on the page hmm. is what Lionel Bart gave me. And that was certainly not diving into that, uh, what I think of as being quite a dark, that was much darker for that character. There's also talk about, you know, pedophilia with that character and things like that. And I didn't go there. I chose not to. I don't think it was valuable for our production. But you certainly see a world of the disenfranchised by the establishment. Mm -hmm. And the establishment is not going to welcome no. Jewish people or Catholic people or black people or women. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is in the production. It is. That is there, I think. Yeah. It's a terrific question, though. Who else? Anybody else have a question for Dana about Oliver or musicals or... Don't be shy. Yeah. When you were selecting the cast, did you emphasize the musical side of the person or the acting side? I could let Peter speak to well, that probably because. Uh, well, it's, it's a, bit of bit a bit of both because we have to mm. cast our actors to be in many things. Like, and if you saw, like, and slowly beauty that was in the studio. Very realist, true, naturalistic acting is required. They're all in, Oliver. So there's a great range, and like, I just love Caroline Gillis, who played the mother in Slowly Beauty. L watching her sing and dance and get up her skirts and stuff, <laughs> she, she, does, she so rarely gets to ask to do that. Mm -hmm. But then there are other performers that we brought to the company with specifically a musical skill. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Weiser, Sean Wright, there are many people that... Mm -hmm. And then there are some... Great surprises. Well, that was one of the greatest gifts of the whole process was that a lot of the people in the company have never done one before and uh, really opened their hearts and their souls and their minds and their unabashed, they let go of all their fear and are dancing up a storm. And it's uh, really inspiring, really inspiring to, to watch people be that willing to play. In public, in front of 900 people eight times a week. One of our, one of our younger actors who'd never been in a musical before comes to his first dance rehearsal in like jeans and snow boots. And, <laughs> and Dana has to go, uh, do you have another pair of shoes? Did you wear? It's a whole other way of working that yeah. he quickly. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. <laughs> turned it's an extremely on. disciplined way of working, too. You know, the dancing is a, a world of discipline, most definitely. And so for them, it was something new in that way. It's, it can be militant in, in the way you have to run a mm. rehearsal like that. And they all responded to it beautifully. I think there was a question over here, there. Well, I, I just wanted to go back to the beginnings in Vancouver. Were you a yes. child actress? Or? No, I was not, but I was a dancer. I started dancing when I was about three. I started tap dancing when I was three years old. So I danced three. in Vancouver three. My first bar was the little thing on the oven, the handle on the oven. That's Are you I serious? That's I'm adorable. totally serious, yeah. So I was a dancer for about uh, 10 years, and I went to New York when, <laughs> 10 or 15 years, and I went to New York when I was 16. And, um, and then I quit dancing after that, because that was a bit much for me at 16. And, uh, and I was a musician for about 10 years. I played the saxophone and sang in university in a jazz degree program. And I always did theater, always. I, can, I shouldn't say always, but I did it in high school and I did it in college. And um, 
But that I came I came via music and dancing. That was that was my beginning, for sure. Definitely, it's in my it's in my soul. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. I saw the last night. I just loved it. I loved it. But can you talk more about the idea of how um, the have and not have kids in it? Where did that actual kernel of that idea came from? Well, that Where did the kernel of the idea to not have kids in it come from? Well, that's, I think that's too. Sir. Sorry. It, it came from having a company. And we wanted a piece for our company to do. And we talked about doing Oliver Twist like not the musical, to do like an adaptation of Oliver Twist. And we looked at different versions of it that exist and thought, it's the holidays, we're gonna do Oliver. People are gonna say, where's food, glorious food? Where? So let's do it. Well, what do we do with our company? Do we have our company just play uh, adults and we get a bunch of children in and then, no, let's do it with our company. And um, I, I think it's been a really rewarding choice. It's risky. But uh, no one has come to me in the last week and said, I missed the kids. Because it becomes something else. And as you say, there are beautiful productions with children in it that have their own power and meaning. I love kids on stage. It's very funny, though. I can honestly tell you now, after having uh, the whole process of getting there, I can't imagine having done it any other way now. Now I can't imagine doing it with children. Right now, because it opens up your questions, sir, about Fagan and stuff. Like a thing I love is 1838. Britain abolishes slavery. Boy, boy for sale. That's the contradiction, and you'll see in this production, the actor who sells Oliver is black. It invites that collision. That so so. Interest, like it changes yeah. the story. It's so interesting and, and, and really did in the end present us with way more opportunities than mm. I never felt like, oh, if I just had kids, I really didn't. Uh, I'd never felt like I was missing that in the As room, long as he needs process. me oh is another gosh. interesting moment. Yeah. Bill Sykes beats Nancy and she says, I'm staying with him. What does that mean? How do you address violence against women? In a musical. That's what I love. In a musical. How does the biggest <laughs> hit of the show, which Shirley Bassey had on the, on the oh, charts, yeah. number one for how many years? Uh, how many years? I think it was, she was actually, it was, it's been a hit for many different people. But As Long As He Needs Me is about being abused and choosing to stay. And it's this huge hit. This pop, you know, pop phenomena. And it's about... And yet in your production we see... We deconstruct Not just it. a defense. Yeah, you see why Nancy does that and what mm-hmm. she's up against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you share with what the kids said about that, Nancy? and? Oh, well, just they had a talk back. We had a beautiful sold out, thank you very much, matinee of uh, Oliver the other day, and it was full of kids from ages eight or nine through teenagers. And I guess the question was put out to them, why do, or someone in the audience said, why did Nancy take care of Oliver? Like, why did, why did she do that? And I guess the audience started piping up, and one little girl said, because she loves him. And another little boy said, but I thought she loved Bill Sykes. And then another girl said, it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) And it is. I mean, that is the drama for Nancy. Like nine years old, it's complicated. 
Beautiful, beautiful that kids are talking. And I have to tell you that at that matinee, which was nerve-wracking for me to sit in the audience with all these kids, and, oh. and they were quiet, <laughs> they listened, but it was nerve-wracking for me. And I went up to the balcony for the second act, and it was full of teenagers, teenagers in, in the prime of teenagers. And uh, they were all sort of standing at the back of the theater at the end, and I sort of was walking through, trying to sort of hear what they were saying as I was leaving. And one girl was standing in the middle of them saying, I am totally coming back. I am totally coming back. And I just Aww. thought that broke my heart because how wonderful that a teenager wants to come back to the theater. That's just, that's the whole point, isn't it? That's the whole point. And it is. You know, and, and yeah, it's really rewarding. Well, yeah. that is a perfect note, haha, <laughs> to uh, leave. But Dana, thank you so much for your production, and we hope all of you going it to enjoy Oliver very, very much. And please join me in thanking our guest today, Dana Tupin. That's all for this edition of the Interviews Podcast. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to interviews at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac-cna.ca podcasts. There you'll find past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Interviews. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theater, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theater on Facebook by entering NAC English Theater into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.